Well, I think the number one, yeah, the number one set of challenges against the Bible all revolve around its accuracy. It's like, well, if we can prove it's a flawed document, it's inaccurate, then basically the rest of it falls apart. apart. And that's kind of like, well, the Bible is the witness, right? And so if I can discredit the witness, then the event never occurred. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey that you must go on. It is something that you have to do yourself. It's not something that you can pay someone else to do. You can't have it delivered. You can't have it shipped. You can't stream it to your life, but instead you have to go out and do the work. And we are here to come alongside you, to encourage you, to challenge you, and to teach you to critically think for yourself so you know what you believe and why you believe it. Mm -hmm. My name is Jesse Mayer. I am the host, and we can't do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor. Oh, himself. So good to be here. So good to be here, everyone. I'm so happy that uh, you're joining us and that you are on the Salty Pastor journey. So, so many people have uh, uh, been uh, coming up and sharing with me, oh, I just discovered the Salty Pastor. It's so fun. And I think that's really <laughs> awesome. I, I think it's great that this podcast is helping people grow in their faith, helping mm. them think through what they believe, why they believe it. But most importantly, everything we do is so that you can navigate this world by walking closer with God. Absolutely. Um, we are in our series titled The Bible. We didn't overthink the title on this one. We just <laughs> went with the straight truth. We're talking about the Bible. And last week you pointed out that the Bible is controversial because of what it claims. It claims that um, the that it is the words of God and the revelation of God. It tells us that there is a God and that what he is doing in the world throughout time Um, And it's ultimately a revelation of God that tells us who we are as human beings. So uh, it makes some pretty strong claims that not everyone gets along with or wants to accept. People reject this. But when we reject any objective truth, we lose the ability to determine what is true. And that is when our lives can easily be flipped Mm -hmm. upside down. Yes, Absolutely. Well said. I think one of the things about this series that we really want to focus on is trying to help people understand uh, the, the, how the Bible was constructed, how does it fit together? Is it trustworthy? Mm. And not only is it trustworthy, but is it accurate and true in its claims? Has it been tested? Has it been challenged? And if so, how did it face those challenges? How did it, uh, Uh, get impacted by those challenges. And so a lot of it has to do not so much with uh, a study of a particular portion of the Bible, Mm. but we're looking at, well, what does the Bible actually say about itself? And how does it, the people who wrote the letters in the books of the Bible, how did they view what they were writing? And that's a critical point. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you are building an entire lifestyle based off of this reference material known as the Bible, you probably want to know, can I trust this thing? And is it worth putting our time and effort into, right? Like, cause yeah. there's a lot of people that are pretty shallow in their faith. And a lot of that comes down to not actually getting into the Bible. They're like, yeah, I'm Christian, but I don't read my Bible. I don't really know what's in there. Yeah. And I just kind of do whatever. And it's like, no, the whole reason this exists yeah. are this Christian lifestyle is all based on this book, this revelation, this revelation. And yeah. so if you're not in it and you don't 
know what's in it. And if it's not accurate, then you're building everything on a very shaky foundation. So yeah. you need to be in it. You need to understand why it is. And so then when people say, well, you're basing your whole thing off of this book that was written over 2000 years ago. And it's like, yeah, but do you know this, this, and this, and this, and this is why I believe it. And that's really important. Yeah. And then their, their whole worldview, their whole lives are turned upside down when they get out and face the chaos of this world in which they live. They don't understand why is there chaos? Why is there pain? Mm. Why is there suffering? Where does it come from? I don't understand. You know, it's kind of like this. It's like you have eight year old, nine year old, 10 year olds, and you know, they're on a cruise ship and all they want to do is eat the candy and the ice cream machine. You know I mean? They melt that ice cream machine down. They're right. just constantly using it and they eat the desserts first and that's all they eat and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, after a week of that, they get off the ship and you say, okay, you guys need to carry your luggage to the car, which is, pat, you know, parked out there on the back 40 because they've got, what, you know, 5,000 people on, yeah. a, on a cruise ship that all parked there. And it's like, okay. And those kids are like dying, carrying their stuff. And they're like, well, I can't do this. I'm so weak. I'm so blah, blah, blah. They start complaining. And you're like, well, because you ate garbage all week long. And well, to be fair, the adults can also get that way too. They okay. So you're there's saying I'm picking on the kids? There's, theirs may not be the ice cream machine. It's probably those unlimited drink passes. Yeah, that that's right. They're stumbling off to their yes. car. But I think the bottom line in regards to all of that is this, is that if you don't have somebody instructing you and teaching you about how to eat in a healthy way, mm. you can consume stuff that is bad for you. And then what it does is it creates all kinds of health problems. You know, right. it can, it can bring about high, you know, diabetes. It can bring about heart disease. It can bring about all different kinds of things just simply because you're not eating well. And it, that's why moms and dads are so important because they teach you to eat your vegetables when you're young. And there's people out there talking about that. Well, spiritually, how do you know what you believe and how do you navigate the chaos and the difficulty and the struggles of the world if you don't know the Bible and you don't trust the Bible right. to guide you and lead you? And like we spoke last week is that because the Bible's a giant red pill of truth for people, it, it specifically says there is a God and this is the heart of this God. Mm -hmm. This is what this God is trying to do. And when you read it and study it, you start to realize, oh, okay. This God is a God of love that has separated himself from us because of sin. Mm -hmm. Sin can't exist in his presence. He's perfect. And so anything that's less than perfect is consumed by it. Okay, this is Isaiah's statement. You know, woe is me. I'm ruined. I'm totally going to be totally annihilated because I'm a man of unclean lips. Well, and I think, I mean, and this is maybe a good time to bring this up is this, this is another one of those things that a lot of, especially non-Christians, but even some Christians get wrong. It's, well, why would God condemn us to hell? Right? Like there's that argument. It's like, if mm -hmm. he's a God of love, why is he sending us to hell? And he in fact sent the option of us to save us. Like it's right. the wrong mindset of mm -hmm. you're not getting sent to hell by God. You are are going to hell because of your sin. Right. You're already on a path of destruction. It's like the asteroids coming to blow up the planet. Yeah. And that that's your fault. You're you can there. step through the portal to a different planet or not. Right. And yeah. you have to choose to be saved so that you can be with him. He yeah. he's giving you the option of being saved. It's not him going, 
you did bad, so I'm sending you to a bad exactly. place. Exactly. It, it's it's completely upside down. I mean, it's like this. Uh, you know, a, a dam is built, and then the floodwaters raise so much, the dam bursts, right? Right. And so the water comes rushing down, and the town below is all flooded. And and so and, and somebody comes by on a boat and says, hey, you know, I'm here to rescue you. And you say, well, I don't want to be rescued by you. Right. Okay. And then, and then to turn around and say, well, you know, the rescuer is condemning me to live on the roof of my house in floodwaters. It's like, well, no. And by the way, you guys are the ones who broke the dam, right? Because right. you're the ones who invented evil and created evil. God didn't do that. You did. Mm-hmm. And so now, so you're where you're at, you're stuck in the floodwaters and you can stay there. It's your choice. And I, I think when people say that, well, God is condemning people to hell, what they're doing is, you know, the fallacies that they're committing in those specific cases are, are twofold. The first one they're doing is it's a fallacy. I call it the fallacy of arrogance. And that is, is that my perspective of this reality is the only true perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, your perspective is pretty limited. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have all this other stuff, you know, but the other fallacy is that, uh, the fallacy of, you know, of that, uh, self-centered arrogance, but the other fallacy in that is I, I don't have any responsibility for the mess that things are in. Right. I don't have any responsibility for the fact that there is a hell, you know, have you, have you ever considered that, if there was no fall, there wouldn't be a hell. There wouldn't be a hell. <laughs> you right. know, you guys created this. I see us. Lewis talks about it in one of his books that he wrote, just what hell is really like. And mm. he says, it's not Dante's Inferno where you have these levels of hell and it's fire and demons and, and we're gonna, a nice thing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> run around and try to skewer you, you know, and they stick pins under your fingernails all day long. C.S. Lewis says, you know what hell is basically it's you getting everything you want mm. along with billions of other people at the same time. To me, that is living hell. Right. Right. Is that everybody you're living with nothing but narcissists. Anybody that's ever had a relationship with a narcissistic person or had to deal with a narcissistic person, it's hell. <laughs> There's no better description. And that's what he says. You're, that's where you're living is you're living in a place where you think your will reigns supreme. And he says, there, there's, it's nothing but suffering there. That that's the ultimate suffering. Well, and the only way we know that this is the real way this works, as far as we're not being condemned, this is in fact something of our own doing that we're being saved yes. from, is by these revelations in the Bible, right? right. Like yeah. that is where it is. And that's where if you're a shallow Christian, if you haven't spent time in the word, you're not gonna get that that Correct. difference in ideology and the freedom of knowing, oh, I'm already damned unless Right. I go and, and I'm in the floodwaters. Right. And maybe I didn't cause the actual flood, but my people did. Right. You know, human beings created it. And we're living in this broken world. And God has decided this is the way I'm going to offer you a way, way out. out that does a couple things. Number one, it respects your human dignity. Mm-hmm. It doesn't violate your free will. So you have a choice. Right. So the other thing it does is that it allows you in this reality to grow and discover the best version of yourself and live in joy while you're here so that you have a taste of the ultimate joy in eternity. So it's all linked. It's not separate. Like, well, we're going to give up on the material world and 
in space and time. All we care about is heaven. It doesn't work that way. Right. You know, Jesus came into this realm and he was completely human while completely God all at the same time. And what that tells us is that his goal wasn't just to redeem us for some future off thing, but to redeem this space time reality, this material world or universe at the same time. So he wants to redeem both, right? Which means purging evil from it. So that the Bible is very controversial because it says a lot about who God is and what he's doing. And it says a lot about who we are as human beings. Well, and these revelations allow us to better understand our life, but obviously there are people that are critics or who want to prove mm -hmm. the Bible wrong. So yes. I want to talk about today, if you don't mind, what are the primary ways that the Bible is challenged or kind of like, well, I think the number one, yeah, the number one set of challenges against the Bible all revolve around its accuracy. It's like, well, if we can prove it's a flawed document, it's inaccurate, then basically the rest, the, of, it the rest of it falls apart. And that's kind of like, well, the Bible is the witness, right? And so if I can discredit the witness, then the event never occurred. Classic uh, strategy in a law room. Like yeah, if you don't have classic a, if strategy. You can prove that your witness is flawed or did not is not remembering yeah. correctly or whatever or then, credible credible then mm -hmm. it and i mean that's why i mean the, you love those books but the 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 case for christ and all of these different yes. things are take that approach of like okay let's turn this into a legal trial so there are people already doing it on the other side of okay if i can discredit this one aspect of the bible then the rest of it falls apart so yes. talk to me about well the first one i think is it revolves around the notion of well the bible has been translated and copied you know, there's, I was, you know, listening to comedian, he goes, well, you know, the Bible, it was, you know, copied and copied and copied and copied and then translated. And then that was copied and copied and copied and copied. And then that was translated. And then that was copied, 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 copied. And he just keeps going on and on doing right. this over and again. And his point is, is that, okay, so it's obviously false because you get all those copies and translations down and there's some real specific fallacies in that argument. Okay. And that is this is that, okay, you, Jesse, are a copy of your parents who are a copy of their parents who are a copy of their parents. And you can go back how many thousands of years, thousands and thousands of years. And human beings back then, right, had brains and the kidneys and stomachs and Correct. they ate stuff that gave them indigestion. And, you know, they slept, they they were there were you know for thousands and thousands and thousands of years human beings are still pretty much the same yeah, you know dna copies yeah that's it and so yeah and even though new life and i we don't want to overstate the case in the illustration is it's you know life happens when you have two separate strands of dna come together and there is a whole dna argument about why people lived so long mm -hmm. tens or 20s or 30,000 years ago and that's cuz their dna was so much better shape but but basically they're saying well the fallacy is this, is that, well, if there's no efficacious or, or proper way to do a copy, then uh, you could say that maybe it's changed. But the issue is this, is how did it get copied and how did it get translated? And this is what's really important. If you go to the Old Testament in chapter six, what, what's really important to understand is that the Bible has two sections, the Old Testament, New Testament, 39 books in the old, 27 in the new. And the first five books of the Old Testament in the Torah are called the Pentateuch, right? And these are the five most important books, pretty much. Uh, what happens is Moses wrote those. 
And in the book of Exodus, while they are marching out of slavery in Egypt, marching across the Negev desert, and over that period of 40 years, he is outside the main encampment, and he's in a tent next to the pillar of fire at night and the pillar of clouds mm -hmm. during the day that's guiding them, and he's supposedly in the presence of God, and he is receiving what to write. So Moses writes the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Genesis is kind of about, well, where do we come from? Mm -hmm. A little bit in a general sense. And then Exodus is all about coming out of Egypt and being turned into a people of God, the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. And then what happens in the next ensuing books, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Numbers, is all basically how we're going to organize ourselves as a society. Right. Okay. Here's our societal laws. Here's our codified law. Deuteronomy is the first book they think that actually was a codified law that was revealed mm -hmm. or had been written down in form. It's the old, one of the oldest ones that we have or the oldest one. And so, and then Leviticus is about the ceremonial stuff that you do. And there's three sections of law that are revealed in there. And this is where a lot of people make a lot of mistakes in, in getting what they call contradictions in the Bible, or it's inaccurate. And they confuse ceremonial law, which is spiritual law, right? And how mm -hmm. you are ha to have a relationship with God. And then you have civil law. And that is, well, if you steal a guy's goat, then you got to pay the guy, you know, or give the goat back. And so, right. so there's a, 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 a civil law to just basically deal with crime. And then there's an ethics law, you know, and that is how do you, what are the laws to, you know, like for instance, we have educational laws, like in Idaho, a lot of people don't know this, but it says in our state constitution that the state has to provide an education for every Idaho citizen. Right. Okay. So that's called an, an ethics law, right? And that is, we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of argument over how to do that, but notice in chapter six of the book of Deuteronomy, he says this, he goes "Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. This is verse four, five, and six. He goes, uh, seven and eight. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart, and you shall repeat them diligently to your sons and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You shall also tie them as a sign to your hand. Many think this is the beginning of the wristwatch, by the way. And they shall be frontlets on your forehead. And so even today, if you go to like to, to Israel or something, and you see a very Orthodox Jew, they have a little box that they tie on their head with a leather strap. And in it is little verses, and that's called a phylacteries that they put on their forehead because of this verse. You shall bind them. What does he say? On your foreheads. You shall also write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So in this verse, what is he saying? He's saying what these words, which I am commanding you today, this, these scriptures mm -hmm. are so important. You're going to teach them to your kids and you're going to do all of this. Now, because of that, they also had a, uh, in addition to this is a incredible value for anything written down the capacity to write something out, right? was so expensive because you had to make the paper and then you had to make the ink and then you had to have a scribe or somebody who could understand somebody uh, language and how to write. And when you go back, you know, they wrote in the original Hebrew that this was written in is they left out all the vowels 
because that took up too much space. Mm. And then what you see is you just see this script. It's very small, it's still legible, and all these little blocks and these little dots and these little uh, uh, tittles, uh, jots and tittles and things that tell you, and there's no spaces and there's no punctuation. So they were trying to maximize the paper. Yeah, that they had. it's super expensive. It's kind. Of, it's very similar today. You know, there's a company here called Micron that makes, uh, you know, these wafer discs, right? Mm-hmm. And everything they do is designed for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is we want to squeeze as many chips on that disc that we can because that thing is so valuable. We want zero waste. Well, so, and you even, I mean, it's yeah, it's you're trying to maximize space. I mean, every, every technology company these days is trying to squeeze as much as they can into yes. an iPhone so that they don't continue getting even larger yeah. as much as they can, right? You see these laptops that are as thin as a sheet of paper or whatever, you know, a couple sheets of paper. and so Which like, illustrates the point in that is this is, okay, so if that's true, uh, if number one, what was written down in the scriptures are to be taught to your kids. So there's a high commitment to this is God's revelation. Mm-hmm. And then there's high value. A scroll, you know, is like, like today, you know, computers and phones, these are really expensive. Everybody has them, right? Now your phone, right? You're the iPhone you have now. I don't know what version they're into 14 or whatever yep. is, does it look exactly like, uh, the first one that came out? Not at all. Not at all. Is it, does it still run on the exact same binary system? Absolutely. And they can go back and they can tell you exactly what the code was in version one, right? All the way up to now and how that code has changed and gotten better. Well, the issue there is this, is that these scriptures that were written, they came up with a process to make sure that we knew exactly what was written and copied. And so a person that could copy it because it was so expensive and because it was so important allowed them to start developing what they call manuscripts, which were copies of originals. And what has happened is in Joshua 1.8, it says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are not aware of this, but in the Jewish culture, when you were a five-year-old male, you had to recite the entire book of Deuteronomy without flaw. So just think, everybody knows the exact, phraseology and the exact words of the entire book of Deuteronomy. How difficult would it be to come up with a copy that was flawed and keep it? If everyone's already expected to memorize it, yeah. you're basically being getting real-time verifications. Anytime someone reread it, they would be like, well, I definitely learned it this way. So this one must be wrong, right? Yeah. Like you have an instant verification system for any copies that are made because everyone was expected to have it memorized. Exactly. Right? Well, it's like this, you know, you have a favorite band, right? You have a favorite group, yes. you know, and so uh, somebody is singing a song from your favorite group, one of your favorite songs, and they keep messing up the lyrics. What do you do? Lose my mind <laughs> and unplug the sound system because I know where the power is. <laughs> <laughs> See, well, it, it, I mean, it. it's not just, oh, you got that wrong. It's annoying. Right. It's so annoying because it's like, that's not the point. That's, he doesn't say that in the song. Yes. You know, isn't that, that's really critical to understand. And that's why you can say, look, translation and copying. The other thing that you have to do is realize that not only did they have a process that 
that really maintain the integrity of the documents in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. You know, we now have a fragment of the Gospel of Mark from the first century, right? And it's a fragment that they found, and they read through it, and it matches exactly what your modern-day Bible says, says Well, and we, you, we talked about last week the Dead Sea Scrolls where we found yeah. an exact copy of Isaiah, and it's identical to what we're doing yeah. now, right? And exactly. So like, I mean, it, it only had a few issues. You know, the interesting, the Dead Sea Scrolls is pretty much what put the nail in the coffin of the second biggest argument, argument against Christianity, and that was this, is in the 1700s, after Darwinian evolution came out, and uh, Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto and some of the other stuff that he wrote is that there was this real big push to say, well, the Bible was constructed in an evolutionary standard, and they, uh, uh, a standard or process, and they called it the documentary hypothesis. Okay. And so what they said is, well, we have a couple of these things that we think are contradictions. You know what that tells us is that it was an original document an original document, and then these are copies of the originals, and then people then made these copies, that, and that's why there's these... Conflicts. Conflicts, or what we consider to be conflicts. And, of course, what happened is the Dead Sea Scrolls came out, and it just totally obliterated yeah, that entire sh- argument. There is no lost original manuscripts that are different than what we have, because now we can read and see from, from manuscripts that predate Christ. You know, that we can actually read that. The other thing that happened is the finding of first and second century manuscripts increased dramatically. And we've gotten better at recovering. Yeah. And reading and knowing. And then the final thing is, is that most things that people call uh, contradictions are just simply a lack of scholarship. You know, it's just a completely lack of understanding of the culture, the idiomatic expressions, these types of things, you know, like... If we were walking down the street and we saw uh, a car, you know, mm-hmm. that you and I both like, I'd look at that car and I'd go, man, that is the baddest car. And then you might say something like, that is super lit or. <laughs> Let's pretend like that's what I would say. <laughs> well, yes. What would you say? For, I don't know. I don't know. I'm also not a car guy. So I'd be like, oh, that's a cool car. That's yeah, probably the say, unloud, um, but Well, okay. You, you'd say that. That's a cool car. I'd say that's the baddest car. I'd say, you'd say it's a cool car. And so they write that down. Jesse and Doug were walking down, you know, Main Street in uh, downtown Boise on this certain day. And they came across a car in uh, Doug said, man, that was a bad car. And Jesse said, that was a cool car. We have a contradiction. Right. See, because bad means bad, right? Mm-hmm. And then, okay, well, wait a second. What What if you don't, if you understood the my generation, anytime mm-hmm. you said something was bad, what are you really saying? That it's cool. Cool, yeah. <laughs> and what are you saying? You're not making a statement on whether it was cold outside or the touch of the car is cold. You right. were saying what? That it's is- a good car. Yeah. So that's, those are idiomatic expressions and a lack of knowledge like that, a a lack of understanding of how these people wrote and what they were attempting to do. They had very limited space. Mm -hmm. They had very limited opportunity. John says this, he goes, if you tried to write down everything Jesus said, it would fill up every book in every library. Right. So, so I think that's a, the documentary hypothesis was probably tried to be a scientific evolutionary style critique of the accuracy of the Bible, but it's completely fallen apart. So th- those are the biggest ones. The translation and copies has fallen apart. The documentary hypothesis has fallen apart. 
So, uh, as we're kind of wrapping up, is there any other ones that are tend to have issues? I mean, we kind of talked briefly about contradictions, but we've kind of talked about that being a lack of understanding, right? Like yeah, and, seeing contradictions of the Bible mm-hmm. typically means you're not knowledgeable enough or you're missing a part of the puzzle that you don't understand that is. Yeah. And I think what, what are the things like, like here, then what happens is, okay, what about conflicts between, uh, the Bible and science mm-hmm. that was in the early 20th century, late into the 20th century, people beat the snot out of that drum. Right. And of course that is pretty much died off. off. Yeah. It's dying off more and more scientists are becoming theists, mm. you know, because when you start looking at DNA and mathematical probabilities before the belief was, Oh, there's going to be life on every planet out there. Cause there's billions and billions of planets. And then the more they study it, the more they realize is that no, we'll probably never find life on any other planet out there, right. <laughs> which is kind of well, odd. Lots of alien movies. Cause that's fun. I know we love <laughs> alien movies. I do. I love the sci-fi stuff. But what, what's really interesting about it is they say, okay, there's a conflict between science and what the Bible teaches, like the creation account, okay? They're, they're saying, okay, there's a, there's a big contradiction there, and you can't believe in the God, and you, you know, the, it's all wrong because the Bible's review of creation and then the, what we know of how the world evolved from nothing and so mm-hmm. forth doesn't line up. And so it's really interesting because there's some really powerful Christians and theists that came out and said, well, what, you know, they kind of reduce the argument to this is said, well, what if God used evolution to create? Right. Okay. We'll see. So now what you have is you have a theological debate because then you have some scholars say, well, no, it's a literal six days. And then you'll have another scholar say, well, actually God doesn't exist. Duh, in time, so it, yeah. It doesn't exist. In time. Are... Yeah. And the other thing too, is that you have to realize is that the Hebrew there in the creation account isn't as clear as we'd like it to be. So we starting to make presuppositions. The exact same word for age or eon is the same word for day, right? So. Cause they didn't have a lot of, you know, mm. and so, so is he saying, and, and maybe what he's saying is that this is the vision cause who wrote the first book of the Bible? Moses. Moses. Where is he in a tent outside the city or the town of tents, right? He's out there and he says on the first day, God, and so it was it a vision day. Is this what he saw in the first day? Right. Which boy would that be a cool movie to see? Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> well, when you go to heaven, you get to see the movie. Yeah. I want to see what Moses saw. But now now I'm not advocating for any of these. Don't mistake right. me. But what I'm saying is that they these are these are positions held by highly conservative, deeply committed Christian scholars. Mm-hmm. Now, these are the super smart people. And if they're disagreeing over it a little bit, then I'm like, mm, I'm, I'm not that smart. Right. <laughs> and so as long as they're not departing from what I would say a biblical understanding, the biblical guide rails, I'm fine with that. And see, you start have to, and this is why, what's so important. You know, another one is uh, the age of the earth. There's people out there saying, well, the age of the earth has to be this old. A lot of people are not aware of this, but back in the 1700s there was actually a race to figure out how old the earth was they were they were basically adding up all the genealogies okay okay and they're going back and the archbishop of canterbury at one time he predicted the exact year he uh month date and time the time of day when Mm -hmm. god created it you know because they were all on this and so these different christian groups you know were trying to you know, it was like compete. A, it yeah. was like a Christian space race, but yeah, exactly. It's kind of silly that way. But, but what happened is then later on a Jewish scholar who's not even Christian said, 
oh, you guys got to be careful because of space issues. They, they always didn't write down every single person in the lineage. Mm. So like if you had, you know, the son of Joab and, and Joab, the son of Joab, Joab, the son of Joab, Joab, the son of Joab, Joab, the son of Joab. It's like, why would you repeat that? Repeat if you're that. Paying so much money for these. Yeah. So, so they, they would, uh, truncate it. They'd abbreviate yeah. it, you know? And so I remember that here's a funny story. When I was doing a wedding in Kansas, I, I did it with a uh, priest mm-hmm. from the Roman Catholic church. And it was really interesting as an ecumenical service. And we did it together and his name was father Andrew. And he was kind of a chubby Irish Catholic priest that you imagine, you know, just okay. real jovial. Mm-hmm. And so, and we were talking and he's making jokes and, and I was just asking him, Oh, why'd you go? And he goes, well, you know, he goes, I am number 17 in a line of Andrews. Oh, wow. And I decided to put a stop to it. <laughs> <laughs> the expectation is high at that point. Yeah. You continue, right? Like I mean, 17 the- <laughs> generations of Andrews. Oh my goodness. Could you imagine writing that in the old Testament? Oh my God. He says, I decided to put a stop to that. I go, well, oh, I guess. You but did it. You did. That was so funny. But I think that the main issue there is, is that these are these can easily be construed as misunderstandings. Another one that comes up, I think Zach is going to talk about this one uh, when he preaches on Sunday, is Genesis 21, or Genesis 22, 1 says that God tempted Abraham, you know? Mm-hmm. And then in James uh, chapter 1, it says... Uh, God doesn't tempt anyone or God tempts no man. Okay. Oh, so that's a contradiction. It says God tempted here and God tempted there. And I go, okay, are you sure? Are you really sure that that's a contradiction? You know, you better think about it. And I think the issue is, is that you don't want to try to resolve every single contradiction because the people who bring up contradictions are people who say, I don't believe or trust the Bible with my life or my future. I don't believe the reality that it communicates is real. Consequently, what I want to do is mind flaw. Uh, yeah. And, but I always see contradictions in the Bible. They, they're to be explored. Mm. They are, they are things. Wow. This is a place of, of, uh, discovery for us to discover more things mm-hmm. and more possibilities. And this is one of the reasons why Foothills, I think, has done well. And Foothills is a part of a movement that says we have to differentiate between the, what the Bible actually says, right? What does it actually say? And then what have we done to add on in order to understand it? And that's what it, why you get really strong in your faith is when you're able to differentiate between those mm-hmm. two things right? You become less dogmatic and more, uh, adventurous and you want to become more of an explorer. You want to know the deeper possibilities. You don't want to depart and run off into some crazy town, but what you want to do is go like the issue with the six days of creation. Wow. What are these other very conservative, but very incredibly high integrity scholars, how are they debating it? Right. You really get into it. And when you study the eschatology, the, the basically the doctrine of the end times, when is Jesus mm. going to come back? And you have all these really great people that are super smart and they'll have massive disagreements over what it means. Right. And you can just sit and enjoy the intellectual <laughs> yeah. explore and it yeah. pushes you and it gets you to think in ways you've never thought before. So, and I think that's all good. Well, pastor, I thank you so much for taking us through kind of a, 
a journey of discovery <laughs> of what some of the biggest arguments against the Bible yes. are as far as its accuracy. And so um, I think this opens up some eyes for people that maybe have not heard these arguments or who want to look into how to f- debunk these arguments if someone yes. were to bring them up. And I think that's really important that you know that the argument exists so that you're not sideswiped by it by somebody and be like, oh, I've never even heard of that. I've never so, even heard of that. Um, but thank you so much for joining us today, everyone. And we'll see you on Thursday for another episode of the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.